Good morning. How's everybody? We're glad you're here, especially if you're visiting with us. We're glad you're here. You're our honored guest, and we want you to feel that way. If you will, get your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 28 and then go through chapter 2, verse 5. What happens in a Jesus church? There are many different factions of, among Christians today. In fact, for this message, I looked up on the computer. I like to use that every once in a while. And did you realize there are 52 registered kinds of Baptist in our nation? 52 different kinds of Baptist. Now, that doesn't include all the rest of them. And I'm sure there's many, many more of those. But that could be quite confusing to us, to people in our world who are looking for a church home. Well, you don't know to get, need to go this one. You need to go that one. And so, but I'm not so much inter, being interested in calling, the, calling us a Baptist church as I am a Jesus church. I believe that's what we need to focus on more than anything else. We need to be a Jesus church. Now, I'm not suggesting we change the name, so don't worry about it. But it, we need to be a, G, a Jesus church. If you were to ask me the, to use one word to describe the church, what would it be? And I came to the conclusion for myself, I'd rather be a, G, a Jesus church. Start say Baptist. I'd rather be a Jesus church. When Paul wrote this letter over 2,000 years ago, there weren't any Baptist churches or Methodist or Catholic. There were only Jesus churches. Most churches start out as Jesus churches, but somehow along the way, they get off the track. And that's where we find churches that spring up, and we're not sure what they are exactly. I heard a little story about a church that displayed a large sign out in front, and they had it on their building. And so this nice sign out there, and it says, Jesus only. I like that. But here's the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. That was their way of announcing they exalted Jesus, which is a good thing, as their primary focus. That's nothing wrong with that. However, over time, ivy began to grow, and before long, it had covered up the first three letters of that sign. Now it read, as people passed by, us only. Now you say, well, that's sort of comical. No, that's serious. <laughs> when we began to have problems that, trim it back a little bit. Someone brought it to the ten, uh, pastor's attention that they should cut the ivy away in the, of the first three letters like it used to be. But after looking around the congregation and what they were doing as a church, he says, no, I think it's right where it needs to be. What he was saying is Jesus really isn't a part of this church anymore. And, folks, that happens quite often if you look at it. We have entertainment centers sometimes. Now, I'm not saying all church this way by any means. Don't Please don't fuss at me too much. But sometimes we lose the main focus of what we're here for. We're here for one reason, to praise and lift up Jesus. Paul talks about this in the passage we just said, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, and then 2 through 5. Would you stand with me as we read these verses together? Now, Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, remember, a little, located modern in the modern-day Turkey called Colossae, and he writes these words beginning in verse 28 of chapter 1. Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. 
To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. In chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of all the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge and the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom we are hidden, all the are whom whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should re- deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I will be with you in spirit. Rejoice to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, once again, we come thanking you for this day you've given us and for each person that's here today. Well, we don't know their needs as they come into this building. It may be somebody that's been a member here for 20 years. But, Lord, today may be the day they finally meet you in a real way. And, Lord, just we just ask you that you would continue to make us a Jesus church. Don't let us get off course. Let us, number one, be our priority to lift up Jesus in everything we do. Lord, all the other activities that go around, that's just fun times and fellowship and so forth. But we need most of all to know and hear about Jesus Christ. Go with us over these next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you this morning. The passage we just read, when I speak about a Jesus church, I'm not talking about this building that we're sitting inside of. The church isn't made of bricks and mortar. It's made of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the church. It doesn't matter what the building is. Now, I mean, I think we need to keep it nice, and I think we've done a good job of fixing this building up and looking good and so forth, but that's not the church. The church is you and I as we sit here each and every week, as we go into this community in our daily walks in the, in the week time. The church isn't made up of bricks and mortar. It's made of brothers and sisters in Christ. When people pass by this building, they may say something like this. There's Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. In fact, I would safely say, there's my church. That's Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. That's my church. No, it's not. That's the building. But we're the body of it. We don't live in this building. Now, somebody may feel like sometimes we do. We've got things going on all the time. But that's not the purpose of it. That's the activities. That's the thing we want to draw you with. But the purpose of this church is because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. It's actually just the building that Robertson Avenue Baptist Church meets in. I've said it before, but if, God forbid, some tornado came through here this spring and leveled this building, we would still be Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. That doesn't change anything. Sunday morning, people come. We have visitors here today. And he just, on any... Or any service for that matter, not just Sunday morning. But then they get to meet the people. They may drive by here a hundred times and finally say, I'm going to stop and go to church there. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for ways to reach people with the message of Christ. And folks, when people visit our church, they need to feel the warmth and the welcome as we welcome them into our services. Paul gives us five blessings that you can experience inside of a Jesus church. Watch what he does here. First of all, He says you can be instructed. Inside of a Jesus church, 
the Word of God will always be proclaimed. Whether it's in Sunday school, whether it's in fellowships, whether it's in Bible studies, whatever it is, Jesus needs to be proclaimed in everything we do around here. Whenever Paul entered a city, the first thing he always did was to find a public place and start preaching. Now, that's what y'all supposed to do this next week. Amen? That doesn't sound like we're going to do a whole lot of it next week. But, but that, that's, what he's, that's what Paul did. As he entered the city, he would always find a place. I don't know how it is up here, but used to when years ago down in Fort Worth area, where Judy and I both grew up at, you could go down certain streets and there would be people standing on the street corner literally and preach a sermon. I mean, I, I don't know. If, I've never seen that around here, but I'm sure they have in the past or do sometimes or whatever. But now I've never done that. I'll be honest with you. I've never done that, never felt the need to do it. But yet it almost bothers me that I haven't because that's exactly what God calls us to do, to proclaim the gospel. Now, I'm not suggesting you get out in the middle of 190 and start. You probably better not in the middle of 190. That's for sure. But it's we need to be preaching the gospel. Listen to what. Paul said in verse 28, he wrote, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. You wonder why Paul was so successful? Right there is one of the reasons. Every time he got the opportunity, he was telling people about Jesus. Now that is something we need to do. He didn't say we proclaim Christian doctrine. We proclaim the theology. He said, we proclaim him, Jesus. 2,000 years ago, there were many spiritual messages proclaimed. There was all kinds of people. Some of them even were dangerous. The Gnostics proclaimed that their secret knowledge. They had secret knowledge. And the Judas proclaimed the Old Testament. So you could walk around the city of Jerusalem and you could see, hear all different kind of messages. But Paul says he proclaimed nothing but Jesus. That's what we need to do. The purpose of his preaching was to edify and to strengthen believers. He wanted to give them instruction for their daily life. A Jesus church instructs people on how to grow in the fullness of Christ. Some of, the, some of my best memories of childhood, when I was just a little boy, my grandmother and great dad at the time, of course, they both long passed on, but uh, they lived up in Paris, Texas. And it, uh, about once a year, my brother and I would go up and spend the week with them just to, uh, of course, that was rodeo week and so forth because that was a big thing in our lives and in our family. But, it's, uh, but my grandmother, one thing I remember about her, now, let me clarify this by saying this first. I don't like banana pudding. I don't like it. But the reason is, that my grandmother used to make it, and I probably ate so much of it, I totally burned myself out on it. I don't know. But my favorite two dishes, but let me also, she was about, I think, three foot four. I don't have, you know, she was a little bitty lady, but she could cook. I mean, she made red beans like you won't believe it. That's probably why I'm like I am today, but that's, that's another story. But she made real banana pudding, and she also made something called pounded steak. How many of you ladies know what that is? One of those ladies raised his hand over there. Okay. <laughs> but I love banana pudding. 
And to this day, I love, I found out later that was just chicken fried steak, we call it today. And I didn't know that. But it's, her pounded steak was the best. I mean, it was just fantastic. And I remember if I was up at the house and I smelt banana pudding or especially the chicken fried steak cooking, I was heading in the kitchen. I was going to try to help. But she did something that I've never seen done. Now, you, some of you ladies may can identify this. I don't know why she did it, but she would take a Coke bottle, not the plastic ones. I used to make them out of glass. And she would lay that steak on the, table, on the uh, countertop, and she would take that bottle and just pound it. Any of y'all ever done that? Okay. I've, I've, y'all, some, some of y'all are with it, but it just, uh, anyway. I didn't know what she was doing that for. And one day I asked her, I says, why do you take that Coke bottle and beat the steak? And here was her answer. I want to make sure the cow is dead before I cook it. My eyes got that big. I later figured out it was to make that meat tender. Whenever I heard the sound of that Coke bottle pounding, here I come. I, my, I mean, it was like a magnet to me. I always came running to the kitchen. Now, that's great for chicken fried steak, pounded steak, whatever they call it. But sadly, that's what a lot of churches do with the Bible. We pound somebody over the head with the Bible. Not physically, but vocally. We use the Bible to pressure them, if you will. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. Because sometimes it turns a lot of people off. In fact, I believe that one of the reasons our churches are struggling now because we were so strict some years ago. And there's nothing wrong with it. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But yet we pounded people over the head with it. And it turned people off. And sometimes does more damage. There are too many churches that only preach the negative aspects of Christianity, of the Christian life. They focus on all things a Christian shouldn't do. They tell you a Christian shouldn't smoke, shouldn't drink, shouldn't dance, shouldn't chew, or don't go with girls that do. But it's... I remember even hearing some church, and I wasn't in church this time, but that you're not supposed to go to the movies. They didn't want you going to the This is some Baptist churches. Judy grew up in a real, I start to say restrictive, but uh, I'm not sure what the word is. But it's, I mean, it was common. Now, this is back in the 60s, probably earlier than that for that matter. But And then I have at the time when the, the ages came in the 60s where guys had long hair. Ooh, that was a that was a bad thing. As God is my witness, I remember a friend of mine. We'd been in high school together. We were good friends, and I tried to get him. This is after I became a Christian. We'd just been married a long uh, short time, and it's uh, I invited him to church. He came to the church we was going to, and this actually happened. He came with a, a girl, a date, a girlfriend, and they sit back there, back in the toward the back of the pew, like most teenagers do. And this preacher was preaching a sermon. I don't remember what it was about, but he made this comment. He says, it's people like that young man sitting back there with hair down their shoulders that's causing the problems. To my knowledge, his name is Johnny Holmes. To my knowledge, I saw him a few years ago, and he has never darkened another church. And I would safely say he probably hasn't. I don't know about you, but I feel like that preacher one of these days is going to be responsible for that. 
That's not right, folks. Yeah, there may be people different from us. We have people of all walks of life right in here today. But yet that doesn't make them unsalvageable. Wouldn't it be great if we could open up a book and read each other's lies and what y'all have done? I wouldn't want you to read my copy, I promise you. But that's not what the church used to do sometimes. I mean, now this wasn't a large church. There wasn't a whole bunch of people there. But to call somebody out that he didn't even know because, yeah, he had shoulder-length hair, which was very common in that day. I probably shouldn't tell you that, but at one time I had a ponytail. I think my dad grabbed hold of it and spun me around and got rid of it, but no, I, no, he didn't do that. But I had a ponytail. But back then it was almost common occurrence for people, for boys. And yet this man, this preacher man, called him out from the pulpit in a service. Talk about embarrassing. And it's, like I say, to my knowledge, and I saw him about probably about five or six years ago now, he had never darkened the doors of a church since then. Christians shouldn't smoke, we said. You shouldn't drink. You shouldn't dance. You shouldn't choose. You, choose. you shouldn't go to movies. There's not much instruction in those things. It happens all the time. It's mainly prohibitions. How tough would it be if road signs told you where you're not going? Can you imagine driving to Dallas and seeing a sign that says, Dallas, not this way? You'd turn around and go back the other way, right? You'd start heading down there, and then a sign says, Austin, not this way. I mean, isn't that how we do so many times? You'd soon get frustrated, and you'd say something like, Don't tell me where I'm not going. Tell me which direction I'd go in. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here. He's saying, We need to be a Jesus church. You need to be a Jesus person in everything. It lets you know you're heading in the right directions when we see the road signs. That's the kind of instructions you find in Jesus Christ. You hear God's Word telling you, this is the way, go this direction, and hopefully you respond to that message and it begins to indwell your life and it changes your life. I know I've said it a hundred times and I'm going to continue saying it. If your life hasn't changed since you were saved, something's wrong with your salvation. I don't care who you are. Something's wrong if your life hasn't changed because Jesus is in the life-changing business. Paul wrote in verse 29, To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Another version of, that, uh, another version of the Bible that says it this way, same verse, He was struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Paul saying, God had to struggle with me. I was not an easy case is what he was saying. Paul didn't say, I'm struggling in my own energy. He said, in his energy. The supernatural energy of Jesus Christ is available to every one of us sitting here today, if you don't have it. Before Jesus returned to heaven, he told his disciples, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The word for power, power is dunamis, which we get our word for dynamite from. Dynamo, dynamic. Are you trying to live the Christian life in your own energy? 
you're wasting your time. You can't do it. Are you pumping away as furiously, as hard as you can do, and wondering why you stay so frustrated, why you're so fatigued? Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 38, streams of living water will flow from within him. Did you hear that? When you know Christ, the river of his strength runs through you. And he gives you the strength to do anything he asks you to do. Now, we've got a couple of y'all well know. They're missionaries sitting here. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm glad God never called me to the mission field. I couldn't handle that. I, mean, I, just, I just couldn't do it. But missionaries go there and live in conditions that most of us wouldn't even consider. How do they do that? God gives them the strength. God gives them the knowledge. God puts that love into them. Here not too long ago, we was talking. And that's talking about wanting to go back to uh, Nicaragua, isn't it? Nicaragua. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, why in the world would anybody want to go back down there? I mean, that place is crazy. But God put that love in them as a missionary. And he doesn't take that out. And no matter if they get to go back or not, they still have that love, that desire to be there and they're telling people about Jesus. That's God's strength, folks. I couldn't do that. But missionaries can. I've talked to missionaries before that were there, let's just say there's in Africa continent. And they lived one place and their kids were sent to school four or five hundred miles away. I'd be on the doorstep of that school the next week. Give me my kids back. i got to have them. But God gives them the ability to do that because he's put a special call upon their life. The second thing, the third thing we see, you can be encouraged in a Jesus church. In a Jesus church, you'll find plenty of encouragement. When Paul thought of the believers at Colossae and nearby Laodicea, he wrote Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. The Bible teaches one of the main reasons why Christians should gather together is to encourage one another. Let me say this as plainly as I can possibly say it. The Christian life is impossible for you to do. For you to do. The only way you can live the Christian life is Christ living in you. That's it. You cannot succeed outside of Jesus Christ. It's impossible. It's not hard. It's impossible. We should be cheerleaders for each other. When I played in high school sports and so forth, and I remember how important the cheerleaders were. But, you know, on the football field, we didn't get to really hear them. So I like to go to the basketball games. You get to sit on the bench right there in front of the cheerleaders. That was a fun. I could hear what they are saying then. Oh, I never knew that's what that yell meant or what they was doing. And so... I'm thinking about, you know, we, we, I just had this thought. What we need to do next time we get our teachers and officers, we need to get some cheerleaders. Can you imagine them coming up here and leading us in cheer? Go, fight, pray, trust him, trust him. Come on, people, trust him. You know, I can help. I'm not sure, but it was a good thought anyway. But maybe we need to elect some cheerleaders for our congregation to encourage us. Go. Fight, pray. The only verse in the New Testament addressing the importance of church 
is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, where it says, not, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What's exhorting? Lifting them up, encouraging them. Did you hear what that verse says? Now that speaks to every single one of us. We're to encourage each other. We're to lift each other up. Today, as we're speaking right now, Karen Roberts at the hospital. Now, I don't know about his mother. I haven't heard today. But she's in very critical condition. And she had a very bad heart attack yesterday. We need to be praying for her. When you go home, you need to pray for her. Because this is Karen's mom, folks. She was 76 years old, I believe they told us yesterday, and fell out in the yard. And thankfully, a guy was looking out there and happened to see her and called the ambulance. We need to be encouragers. The day of his approaching, what does that mean? The return of Jesus Christ. Now, again, let me say, I don't know about you, but I believe with every ounce of my being, we're living in the last days. I believe it with everything I've got. There is nothing that would stop Jesus coming back today. I don't believe. Oh, I don't really believe that stuff. I've heard it all my life. Okay. When you leave, I'm going to wave by because I won't be seeing you again. I believe Jesus is coming back soon. And yes, I know we've heard that all of our lives. But I believe the times are set and it won't be a long time. As we get closer and closer to that day, we should be doing a better and better job of encouraging one another. There is tremendous power in encouragement. One of, a, one of the America's greatest presidents, or at least in my opinion, was Abraham Lincoln. I read an article some time ago about Lincoln called Lincoln's Melancholy. It's not widely published, but President Lincoln was prone to bouts of severe depression, causing him to stay in bed for days at a time. He struggled with self-esteem, he's the President of the United States, and confidence all of his life. On the evening of April 14, 1865, President Lincoln attended a play at Ford's Theater. John Wilkes Booth was waiting outside his box when at the precise moment the audience roared with laughter of a, the funniest line in the play, Booth rushed in and shot the president in the back of the head. President Lincoln was carried across the street to a boarding house where he died a few years later, a few, a few hours later, without ever regaining consciousness. We all know about his assassination, but what peop, many people don't know is what he was carrying in his pocket the night he was shot. The contents of his pocket were not publicly revealed until 1976, over a hundred years later. They're now on display, I understand, at the Library of Congress. On the night he was shot, here's what he had in his pocket. This is the President of the United States in 1865. On the night he was shot, he had a handkerchief, two pairs of reading glasses, a spectacles case, a watch fob, and a pocket knife. The only money in his pocket was a single $5 bill but it was Confederate money. Why in the world? I don't know. There were also a few little paper, uh, newspaper clippings 
One of them had been folded and creased so many times, it was obvious that Lincoln pulled it out to read it many times. It was an article about a speech given by an Englishman, Joe Bright, who said, Abraham Lincoln is one of the greatest men of all time. Today, many of us have read our history books, and we know that President Lincoln did a fantastic job in a very, very difficult situation. But at the time the president was shot, he presided over a deeply divided nation, sort of like we have right now. He was the target of frequent attacks in the press. The vast majority of newspaper articles were the, were the, the, about the president were harsh and critical. This was long before approval ratings, but he was considered so unpopular that there are accounts of people cheering him when they heard he died. Why do you suppose that he kept that little article in his pocket and read it over and over again? I suspect, and I, of course I don't know, but it was because it encouraged him. It gave him something to look at and have a little bit of flicker of hope and cheer. Folks, we're to encourage one another. We're to encourage each other. What do you mean? How are we supposed to do that? By pumping each other up. Yes, if it's a cheerleader, then we need to do it. But we need to encourage each other. We all have lives that are very chaotic. And when you come to church, you don't want to hear all the bad things in church. We don't need drama in Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. What we need is Jesus in here. Too many times we have drama and we focus on that instead of focusing on what we're here for. And that's not only Robertson. That's every church. There were times when his heart was broken over a divided nation and thousands of young men lost their lives on the battlefields. That would weigh on anybody. I can just see him in his, with his head bowed under the weight of leadership taking out that little article and reading those words. Abraham Lincoln is one of the greatest men of all time. That should serve as a lesson for each one of us about the power of encouragement. You may not write a newspaper article or give a speech, but you can write a card or a note of encouragement to somebody. You know people in this church. Some of them are going through challenges. There's been people just within the last few weeks lost family members. And you don't get over that in one day, I promise you. Maybe you need to write a card and say, Hey, I was thinking about you my prayers today. That little things, you never know what it's going to make the difference. You never know how it's going to be taken. John chapter 11, verse 25 says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, will live again. When you're part of a Jesus church, your heart will be encouraged, and you'll encourage others. The fourth thing, you can be included in a Jesus church. One of the greatest blessings of a Jesus church is that the members open their arms wide and include anybody that walks in our doors. Anyone. It doesn't matter if they've got a dollar in their pocket or they've got $5 million in the bank. We ought to welcome the same. They may come in in tattered clothes. That may be all they've got. I hope we welcome with everything we've got here at this church. We need to be a welcoming church. 
Paul wrote in chapter 2, verse 2, my purpose is that they may be knit together in love. I like that. Knit together in love. Now, I, I don't know much about knitting. I'm going to be honest with you. I wouldn't even know where to start knitting something. But I like that phrase because I know that when somebody sits down and knits something, it comes out a beautiful piece of work most of the time. <laughs> I guess there's exceptions to that. But most of the time it does. And so what Paul is saying is when people come into our church, we ought to love them so much that they feel the love of Jesus here. A Jesus church is a place where all different kinds of people can unite in love. It doesn't matter if you're big or small or black or white or whatever. When they come in this church, they ought to be made to feel like this is my church home. This is where I want to serve God. This is what we need. A Jesus, play, Jesus church is a place where all different kinds of people be united in love. You know, every single one of us is different. Every one of us. It doesn't have to see, be something you see on the outside. It can be something on the inside. Sometimes the people that we look at, we wonder, well, what are they doing here? When inside they may have the biggest heart you've ever seen. Don't look at people on the outside. Look at what Jesus can do on the inside and change it. I've said before, a church is not a showplace for shiny, shiny saints. We're to be a hospital for sick sinners. We are to be a safe harbor for those whose lives, lives have been shipwrecked. One of my greatest blessings as a pastor is I get to hear stories, probably most of you don't hear, who were perhaps at the end of their rope and they just didn't know what to do. And they came to Robertson Avenue Baptist Church and found hope and help. We have a lady in our crowd today. I'm not going to say anything to her. I'm not going to pick her out anything. But we have a lady sitting here in our crowd right in our midst right now that it hadn't been too long ago that she said to me something like this. I came here with a broken heart, and I heard you say, Give Jesus the pieces of your broken heart, and he can heal it. And she did. Walked down the aisle and gave it. That's what a Jesus church is. It's not about, well, you need to clean yourself up before you come to church here. You need to change some ways. Well, I don't know about you, but I'd hate somebody to look at all my ways, even today. I've got a lot of skeletons in my closet. I don't want you to know about them. I'm sure not going to talk about yours, because somebody might open the door in my closet. We need to be a loving congregation. The, fourth, the fifth thing we can see you can be enriched. Now, I'm not one of those health and wealth snake oil preachers that I call them, but who teach that if you'll just trust God, you'll never be sick a day in your life. You'll have more money and you know what to do with. Just all you got to do is trust God. He's going to take care of that. There's a good Latin word for that called hogwash. Jesus never promises you a rose garden. He said there'll be some days that are difficult. There'll be difficulties in your life. But what he does promise, but I'll always be with you. It doesn't matter if you've got a lot of money in the bank or just live in a little small place. Jesus is still the same. We need to be that way too. 
I do believe God wants all of his children to be rich. Would you agree with that? Let me give you a definition of rich. You're rich if you have all your needs met and you have the capacity to enjoy life. You're rich. There are people who aren't rich by the definition, and there are people who are living monthly Social Security check, and they're rich in God's eyes. When you're in a Jesus church, you discover the source of true riches. It's like finding a hidden treasure. And in this passage, we discover what the source of our hidden treasure. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both to the, of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's God's. I didn't say those words. Jesus did. In Jesus, we can access the full riches of heaven. In Jesus, we find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. These riches are experienced when we understand the mystery that we spoke about in this passage. This is life-changing mystery of God is summarized in these seven words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what gives us the encouragement. He is the treasure. We're the containers. If you think that's too simplistic, notice what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthly vessels, clay pots, that the excellence of the power may be in God, not of us. Did you hear what they just said? It's not my knowledge. It's not my strength. It's not my education. It's God working through me that accomplishes things. We're all different kinds of clay jars. Some are big jars. Some are little jars. Some have fancy painting on them. Some are plain. But the, vessel, the purpose of the vessel is containing something. The vessels in your kitchen, plates, bowls, pots, etc., are designed to contain food. When they aren't containing something, they're really empty, useless vessels, aren't they? Until somebody wants to use them. There aren't, they aren't fulfilling their needs. In the same way, God doesn't want you to be an empty vessel. He created you to contain a treasure. The treasure is not something, it's someone. The treasure is Jesus Christ. We're here like a bunch of clay jars, clay pots. There's nothing special about the jar. It's just plain. In fact, we even have some crack pots in here. Not calling any names. I'm just saying there are some crackpots in here. That's an apt description of many of us. We're a bunch of crackpots. But the focus is not on the container. The focus is on the treasure, Jesus Christ. This jar is, avail- is valuable not because of what it is, but it's because of what it contains. You and I get our value from who we are in Christ. Christ in us. If you let him, Jesus will live his supernatural life through your surrendered personality. As we close this message this morning, 
Through the years, I've often heard people say about a church service, well, I didn't get much out of that service. And yeah, I've had them. I can hear them sometimes. Well, if you only come to church to get something out of it, you're coming for the wrong reason. You're coming here to worship, not me, not your Sunday school teacher or anybody else for that matter. You're coming here to worship the Lord of Lords. Sometimes I want to ask when I hear comments like that, well, I just didn't get much out of that service. Well, what did you put into it? What did you put into it? The final thought is this. It's better to give than to receive. If you want to be, an, if you want to be encouraged, then become a cheerleader for others. It'll come back to you. Do you know what you call a boomerang that doesn't work? A stick. If you don't encourage others, don't be surprised to end up as a stuck stick in the mud. I want to remind you of the last thing here real quick, that you can't receive these blessings from a church any way, any form. You can't do it. You only receive these blessings from Jesus. But Jesus is always present in a Jesus church. Do you need encouragement? Come to Jesus. Do you need to be included? Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and you'll find the greatest treasure in heaven is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your life will become like a refreshing fountain that overflows with an effervescent bubbliness when you truly trust Jesus that overflows with life to all those around you if you'll let it. Let's stand this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. We ask you now as we come to this verse of invitation, that, Lord, you just speak to each one that's here. I know we're mostly church members, probably gone here for years. But, Lord, being a church member doesn't make you a Christian. And there may be somebody here that have lived a life of they know it's not real. And maybe today is the day that you've impressed upon them to make a difference in their life. Maybe we need encouragers to step out. Maybe we need prayer warriors to step out. Whatever the need is, Lord, I pray that you'd bother each one of us so bad until we come to understand what you want us to do, each one of us, in your kingdom. Go with us over these next few moments. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.